Get your Bibles turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're in a series right now called The Generosity Experience. And I told you that together that we were going to be participating in an experiment. And we defined experiment last week, and we'll say it again this week, as a scientific procedure undertaken to make a discovery, test a hypothesis, or demonstrate a known fact. And I said last week that we believe at Westridge Church that it is a known fact that we as a church could be generous together, we could make a much bigger impact in our community. Well, to prove that point, we asked everyone last week, and we're going to do it again this week, to bring a dollar to church. And I want you to know that with those dollars, we said we were going to bless someone unexpectedly in a very generous way to simply show what could happen if everybody just put our dollars together. Well, our individual dollars that we collected at this location and our Cartersville location turned into over $4,400. Now, um, I want to give you a little background on what happened this past, a little background on the story that I'm about to show you here on, uh, on the screen. Um, several weeks ago, we were made aware of a lady in the Bartow County area. Her name is Ambria. Ambria is a single mother with four children. Um, a while back, she walked in on a family member who was raping a friend, and she confronted, tried to stop, and in the process got beat up. Well, her parents told her that if she went to the police, that they would, they would throw her out, along with her children, out onto the streets. But boldly, she went to the police, and um, her, her family members threw her out. And for quite a while, she has lived in, from place to place in a, a drug-infested motel in her car. Her children have been displaced in, with different friends. And so we found out about Ambria. And together, through our generosity experiment, we were able to do something unexpected and pretty amazing for her, and I want you to see it right now. Hey, Westridge, Pastor James here. I wanted to take a moment to tell you what we're getting ready to do. This past weekend, we took a special offering up for the Generosity Experiment, and we're able to raise together between Cartersville and our East location about $4,400. And so we were able to partner with a local real estate agency here in Cartersville to supply a brand new living space for a single mom that we've identified that just needs to catch a break. Her and her kids have been through a lot the past several months, and they're trying to get back on their feet. And so what we were able to do because of your generosity was to provide all the upfront costs for this townhouse that I'm standing in here right now, along with the first six months rent. And we also had enough money to come alongside of her and help her cover a portion of utility costs as well. So we're waiting here on her to get here so that we can give her the keys to this new place. And so um, I hope that you're inspired by what you're getting ready to see. How are you? Hey, come on, come on in here. Good, good. James, I'm the pastor over at Westridge. It's good. Oh, to, okay. It's great to see you, girl. Amber, how are you? I know you know Nick already. Mm-hmm. Listen, Amber, I, I want to tell you why you're here. Our church. A lot of us have heard your story, 
And we know that you and your kids have been through a lot the past several months. And we know that you guys really just need to catch a break. And so our church this past week, what we did is this. We took up a special offering, and uh, we want to bless you today with it. We were able to raise enough money to get you and your kids into this town home that we're standing in. Terry, Terry, baby, we humble. <laughs> now listen, that's not it. That's not it. We got enough money to get you guys in here, and we're also going to pay for the first six months rent for you guys to stay here at no cost. And beyond that, we've also got enough money for you. <laughs> we've also got enough money for you to help cover some of your utility costs for those first six months as well. We want you to know, man, that God loves you, and we as a church love you. Well, listen, we want to do this for you because we want you and your kids to be together, and we want you to be in a safe place. And we want you to have what you need to get back on your feet and to take steps to, to see in your family thrive again. And again, we want to do this for you because we love you. We want you to know that God loves you. And we believe he's been generous to us so that we can be generous to other people. So that's why we're doing this for you. All right? Thank you. You are so welcome. I'm a single mother. We went to shelter, 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 sleeping out in cars. We ended up up there at the Parkway North. I couldn't even let my kids go outside the room. Strange people will come knock on my door. I don't have no help. I ask everybody for help. Thank you. I, I don't know you, but thank you so much. Now, I want you to pray for Ambria and her family. She has, obviously, an uphill battle to climb. And uh, we, uh, some of you, I know, have already asked us about furniture. And we're going to be able to provide her furniture um, just through already what people are donating. And um, we told her that, when, you know, about furniture. And she said, what, what do I need furniture? I got carpeting. And, uh, but we're going to do what we can to take care of her. But, but we're also going to help her to get a good job so that she can begin to take care of her family and support her family and, be, and take that rent and be able to pay it on her own and her utilities and try to get her on her feet so that she can take care of herself and her children. You know, someone asked me yesterday um, who actually saw the video, and they said, why don't, why don't we collect a dollar every week and do something like this every week? And um, now... It's a great idea, and we're going to do it this morning uh, again, and, do, and we'll show you another thing next week. But I want, to, I want to make a point about this. We could do that, all right? But for most of us, I want to tell you, that would be the minimum. That would be the bare minimum of our generosity. Just think what would happen as a church as we, if we collectively, collectively embrace the idea of generosity. And not just in our money, all right, but also in the area of our gifts and our talents. And as we talked about last week, our time. Think of what could happen, what we could accomplish together 
if we would begin to engage the Lord, when we give on Sunday and we really truly gave, we would be able to, if, if everybody participated according to biblical standards, we would actually triple what we do now. And think of the lives that could be changed and touched for God's glory. If we didn't just do the bare minimum of, gen- of generosity every week, but we truly embrace generosity. See, because as we said last week, generosity is not about doing the minimum. Okay, and to give a dollar, I mean, for most of us in this room, that's pretty much the minimum. It's every day looking for opportunities to do the unexpected. And think of how many Ambrias we could touch if everyone in this room and everyone that calls Westridge their church said, enough of bare minimum living. Every day I want to see what God can do with a life that is committed to generosity in every area, including my time, including my gifts, and including my finances and my resources. Now, before I dig further into this topic this morning, I want to go back and I want to remind you of the foundation that we laid last week for the issue of generosity. It was real simple. Our God is a generous God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Now, I want to summarize this morning what I went into great detail last week in explaining. Because of a sin debt that we could never pay, Jesus Christ left heaven... He became God in the flesh. He lived among people on earth for 33 and a half years. And then he gave his life on a cross to pay for your sins, for my sins, for our sins. Now, when all hope seemed lost, all right, when there was nothing left for us to do, all right, and we were completely found dead in our sin, God did the unexpected. He sent his son Jesus to provide hope, to provide forgiveness, to provide redemption for our lives. Because God generously offered his son Jesus to pay for our sins, He now generously offers eternal life to anyone who would place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ alone to be their personal Lord and Savior. In other words, he became poor so that you might become rich. In other words, he did that so that we could have not only a relationship with God and spend all of eternity in his presence, experiencing all of his love and all of his blessings perfectly and completely, but also that we could live empowered in his presence in this life today. Now, in the book of James, we're given another picture of the generosity of God. James chapter 1, verse 17 breaks it down this way. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James tells us that every good thing we enjoy in life, including life itself, is a gift from God. The time that we have here on this earth is a gift. All of our talents and all of our abilities are a gift from him. Our relationships are a gift from him. All of the money, all of our resources, all of the stuff that we have accumulated, all right, is simply a gift from him. It's a gift from God for us to enjoy. Now, there's something else that God has generously done for every one of us in this room that have profess Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior. He has given you a spiritual gift, and he wants you to be generous with that gift. Now, spiritual gifts have been a source of confusion. They've been a source of conflict in the church for a lot of years, many, many years, going all the way back to the, 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 the book that we're going to look at and the church that we're going to look at this morning, the church in Corinth. And you say, why? Well, since the days of the first century church, there has been 
an emphasis on certain types of gifts. For years and years and years, Christians have judged one another based upon spiritual gifts. We've allowed ourselves to become at odds with each other because we're gifted differently. And this was a huge problem in the church at Corinth. This church that Paul was writing to was filled with division. It was filled with arguments. There were lawsuits going on. There was a lot of immorality happening. And on top of that, there was confusion on issues like divorce and marriage and worship and communion and giving and the topic that we're going to talk about this morning, spiritual gifts. Again, this church liked to judge each other based upon certain gifts and who didn't have this gift or who did have this gift. So instead of there being unity in this church, instead of there being an understanding of how people in the church could work together and how our gifts should actually complement one another and build each other up, there was no way they could be generous with their abilities or gifts because there was too much division. There was too much disunity going on in this church. And the, the, the animosity as Paul was writing this letter was building in this church. So the Apostle Paul addresses this issue in a letter to them to lovingly rebuke them and to give them an understanding about the importance and the purpose of spiritual gifts. And as we're going to see this morning, he points out six things. There's actually a lot of other things, but he points out we're going to look at six things that we need to learn this morning to help us to avoid some of the mistakes of this early church and as well to learn how to be generous with our spiritual gifts. Now, first of all, when it comes to spiritual gifts, we need to be informed. The Apostle Paul says in verse 1, chapter 12, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The Apostle Paul knew that this church, if it was ever going to get over their apathy towards the gifts or their critical spirit towards each other, they had to get to and, and, and actually get to a place of generosity, then they had to be informed. They needed understanding. Now, I want to give you a definition that I found this past week of spiritual gifts, which I think does a really good job of explaining it uh, in, in, in depth. It's from a guy named Bruce Bugby, who's a leader of Network Ministries, and he says this, spiritual gifts are divine abilities distributed by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design and grace for the common good of the body of Christ. Now there is a big difference between God-given spiritual gifts and God-given natural abilities. A spiritual gift is given to us at the moment that we place our trust in Christ in Jesus, our our, our, um, trust and our faith in Jesus Christ alone to be our Savior. A natural talent or an ability is something that we're born with, okay? If you can hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, that's not a spiritual gift, all right? It's just a very unique talent you have, all right? If you can drive a golf ball 400 yards, that's not a spiritual gift, all right? That's just an ability that you are born with that has developed over time. I mean, there's there's a huge difference between natural abilities and talents and spiritual gifts, all right? There's also a difference between spiritual gifts and what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, And if you look in Galatians chapter 5, Paul, in writing to the church in Galatia, he he lists out the fruit of the Spirit, things like love, joy, kindness, long-suffering. Now, both of those things are necessary if we're going to be a growing, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. But they play out very differently in our lives, right? Fruit of the Spirit impacts our behavior towards each other. Spiritual gifts involve our serving of one another and how we together build up the church, okay? For the sake of glorifying Jesus Christ and expanding his kingdom. Spiritual gifts, if you look at them, all right, I'm going to teach you something here. They are broken down into three categories. And they're listed out in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter chapter 4. And there's 20 or more of them, all right? 
And they are broken out this way. You have speaking gifts, which are things like wisdom and prophecy and evangelism and teaching. You also have service gifts, things like leadership, things like administration, exhortation, faith, giving, mercy, things like that. And then you have sign gifts, things like miracles and healings and speaking in tongues and discerning of gifts and things like that. And you see, what you see is you see a lot of the sign gifts in play especially in the beginning stages of the early church. And these were primarily the gifts that the church of Corinth were arguing over. This is what they were bickering over. And these are the same gifts that the church bickers over today. We're still divided over whether these gifts are today or whether they're not for today. All right? We like to judge each other on whether someone has received this gift or that gift. Back then it was the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation. Today we like to argue over who's got the gift of leadership and who doesn't. And so you, there and today you have the haves and the have-nots. Now there are some spiritual gifts that are also noted in the Bible as commands. Uh, for example... Even if you don't have the gift of serving, we are commanded to serve one another. If you don't have the gift of giving, we are still commanded to give. If you don't have the gift of evangelism, we're still commanded to share our faith with lost people. Now, if you're going to be generous with your gift, then you've got to be informed about gifts. And I would encourage you to dig in and to not only to know what your spiritual gift is, and we're going to talk about how to do that in a moment, but you also need to know what it is that you believe about the gifts. And then Paul, all right, after he makes that point, He makes a huge point to the church concerning this topic. He says when it comes to spiritual gifts, all right, you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 2. It says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, before you were a Christ follower... You were led all over the place by your emotions, by your flesh, by all kinds of false teachings. But he says, but now, not only does the Holy Spirit give us spiritual gifts, but he is the one that empowers us, and he's the one that energizes us to use them to minister to one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Not only can you not live the Christian life effectively apart from the Holy Spirit, but you cannot use your spiritual gifts effectively apart from the Holy Spirit filling your life. So what's the key to being just filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in your daily life? It's living a surrendered life. It's coming before the Lord Jesus every day and saying, Lord, I surrender my needs and my wants and my gifts and my talents, and I I surrender my life to you. What's the key to not only being generous with your spiritual gift, but also being powerful with your spiritual gift? It's the same thing. It's a surrendered life. Lord, these are your gifts that you've given to me. I put them in your hands. You energize them through the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you why some people are not very powerful in the Christian life. Because there's too much focus on the gift and not enough focus on the giver. Sometimes we focus so much of our attention on our gifts and what we can do and our talents instead of focusing on the giver, the one who gives the gift. Now, I want to tell you, if I'm up here this morning as a teacher... All right, and I am worried about my delivery, and I'm up here concerned more about whether I'm pausing at the right moments or whether my voice is, you know, taking the right inflections at the right moments, or I'm worried about whether or not you're being emotionally moved at this moment by what I'm saying. I want you to know I'm in trouble up here. However, if my life is surrendered to Jesus Christ, and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit as I teach, and you as a listener 
have walked into this place and you have, you have committed yourself to hearing the Holy Spirit speak to your life, then listen, we've got something powerful going on here this morning. And it's important that you walk into this room with an attitude that says, Lord, speak to me. Open hands. And I would tell you this, I would encourage you to pray for me and to pray for Paul and Troy and Mac and James and the other communicators and Andrew and and Matt over and the others that lead in worship that we, as we come up here, that we would never spend a moment on the stage teaching you apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit is not in the mix here this morning, then we are all wasting our time. If you are attempting to use your spiritual gift apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, then you are misusing your gift. And sometimes you put yourself in a dangerous place when you do that because it becomes about exalting you than it does about exalting Jesus and building up the church. Then Paul says this. We need to understand that everyone's different. Look at verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, the key phrase in this passage is the word variety. Variety means different. The point is we we are all different. We have all different gifts. There, There are different ways to serve. We are called to use those gifts in different churches. But it's the same God who is working in all of those gifts. Notice the Apostle Paul mentions the entire trinity. He says the entire trinity is involved when it comes to receiving and using our spiritual gifts. And then I want you to notice that he uses the word empowers. We get the Greek word energy from this word. When we we serve according to our giftedness in the power of the Holy Spirit, God gives us energy. And we in turn energize the church through our service. Now the church at Corinth was elevating certain people who had certain sign gifts almost to superstar status. And Paul steps in and he challenges them on this. And Paul says, listen, we need to understand that God gifts people differently. The same God is at work in all of us, but he customizes his work in each of us differently to strengthen the church. Now I want to illustrate something this way. Let's say one of you uh, got up in this room right now, and from time to time I watch this happen up here. And you go out the door and you go to the cafe and you bring, in, you bring in a Frappuccino, okay? You go out there, you just feel the need in the middle of the service to do that, all right? And so you, and I'm not busting on you, I know that sometimes there's that caffeine need, all right? So you go out there, you come back in, and while you're walking back in, you drop your frap all over the ground, Okay? Now, this is how this would work out. You put all the gifts into play. The gift of prophecy, that person would say, listen, that's what happens when you're not careful. In the future, you should never bring a frappuccino into church. The gift of service person would say, let me help you clean this up. We actually had a spill over here this morning with a coffee, and I saw watching people with the gift of service over here doing this. All right? So the gift of teaching, that person would say, the reason, all right, that you drop that is because you're carrying it wrong. Let me show you how to carry a frap into church. Okay, carefully so that you don't spill. The gift of mercy person would say, I'm so sorry that you, they would actually get down and, and feel terrible for you and begin to cry for you, all right? The person with the gift of giving would say, here, you can have my frap. The person with leadership, they would say, Andrew, you get the mop, Troy, you get the towels, Paul, go get that person another frap, all right? The person with tongues would stand up and speak in another language, the interpreter would stand up and they would talk about the spiritual implications of why that frap was dropped in the church. And everybody would then argue, all right? So we've all been gifted differently. 
And so we act differently and we serve differently. But it takes all of us being involved generously using our gifts to make the church complete. And if you're not using your gift, if your gift is not in the mix, then guess what? We're all missing out. And one of the fallacies of the modern church is that the reason the church hires staff is so the staff can do all of the serving. That, you, that basically you're a customer and we, are, we, we, we take on the role of, of servant here as a staff. My staff, we talk about leadership is serving first. But that's, that's, that's not biblical thinking when it comes to looking yourself as someone to be served and not to serve. First Peter 2.9 makes this point. It says, but you are not like that. You're a chosen people, talking to all of us who know Christ. You're a chosen people. You're a royal, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. That means that every one of us in this room, we have been called to be ministers. Now, I realize I am a pastor elder. I'm an elder by title, all right? But the priesthood is for every believer, in fact, according to Ephesians 4.12, one of my main job responsibilities, along with the rest of the pastors on our staff, is to train you to do the work that goes on in the church. We have been called to enlist you, to equip you, to encourage you, and then to empower you to serve. If you've been given a gift, your job is to put it into play, to use it, to build up the rest of the body. I remember when my dad planted his first church in 1983. He was in his 30s. And uh, we planted it down in South Florida, and uh, he then planted another church in Michigan in 1985. And my dad was one of those guys that basically, early on, he and my mom did everything. They just, I mean, they just did everything, and they wore themselves out. But somewhere along the line, I remember my dad started learning about the importance of turning the church, the gifting, over to the people of the church and letting people put their gifts in play and enlisting them, equipping them, encouraging them, empowering them, training them. And as he did that, he began to watch his church begin to take off and flourish. Why? Because all of a sudden the church was getting healthy. So we've got to realize when, we, when it comes to gifts, not only we've got to get them in play, but we've got to realize everyone's different. Then we also need to realize that every gift is valuable. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, the word manifestation means that spiritual gifts are given to us to show that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. When you, when, when you use your spiritual gift, you're putting the Holy Spirit's work in your life on display. I mean, what a cool thought. As you serve, you get to, the Holy, people get to put the, the Spirit on display. Now, there's a couple other things here that Paul's saying. First of all, every Christian has been given at least one spiritual gift. Secondly, we're given spiritual gifts for the common good of the church. When everyone uses their gifts, not only does the world get to see the Holy Spirit on display through your life, but together we become a stronger church. Together we can do more. But when you don't use your gift, we all miss out, and so do you. There's something that's going to be missing in your life when you're not using your spiritual gift. And some of you are struggling because maybe you don't feel like God can use you this morning. You're looking at, you know, you don't even, maybe you don't know what your gift is or you do know and you're like, I don't, even, I don't think that's a gift that can be used. Or maybe he's, give, you know, he's not giving you something that's worthy. Listen, at Westridge we say every Christian is a minister, every ministry is important, and everyone is a 10 in some area. Every one of you has at least one spiritual gift. And God has uniquely wired you with spiritual gifts. In other words, he has handpicked some gifts or a gift, and he has given it to you. 
at the moment you trust Christ to be your Savior. Verse 11, he says, and these, these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, what if I don't know what mine is? Well, we have something here at Westridge, as you go through our membership class, we call a shape profile, where we want to help you not just to learn your spiritual gifts, but it's an acronym for spiritual gifts, hearts, ability, personality, and experiences, and how God has taken all of that and has created a very unique you. But we also want to train you to use those spiritual gifts. And so right now we are involved in a lot of putting together some great leadership development things here at Westridge to help train you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, to become a disciple of Jesus. And out of that, you're going to learn to serve more effectively. So with that understanding, then Paul says we've got to get our gifts into play. Now it's not just enough to know what your gifts are, you've got to use them. And when we use them, we need to be willing to use them generously. Now, when you look at verses 12 through 30, Paul begins to describe how the church is kind of like a human body with each part playing its role. As each part functions and it grows and it begins to work together, it becomes a very healthy human body, and he compares that to the church. As all of us put our gifts in play and each one begins to use them, when we grow in using them, Westridge becomes a stronger and more mature body of Christ. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Let me give you an illustration. Think about at Christmas time. Here you are with your family, and you're, 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 you're next to the tree, and you're given a big box. And you open that box, and, and inside is a brand new set of tools. All right? Now, unlike me, you actually know how to use all those tools. All right? And let's say the condition of your house all right, gets to a place where your tools are needed. Your tools are needed to fix some things. They're needed to make some things stronger. They're needed maybe to add some new additions. But instead of using them in your house, you get them out and you polish them, you organize them. Each each one has their own spot on the wall in, in your garage. and You put them on display, but you never use them. If that were the case, then, then they would be worthless to you. They would be worthless to those around you. The person that gave you the gift would feel like you didn't appreciate the gift. And your house would never benefit from your tools or your ability to use them. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Paul, in writing to young Timothy, says first Tim, in 1 Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect the gift that you have. Then he says in 2 Timothy 1.6, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Now think about your spiritual gift, if you know what it is. Think about your spiritual gift for a moment in light of what I just said. Are you being empowered by the Holy Spirit and using your gifts generously to serve one another? Or are you neglecting them? Do you need the Holy Spirit to come along and to breathe some fresh life, fresh wind into the gift that you feel is maybe just barely breathing, just barely flickering? Listen, I want you to know something. You are needed in this church. I know sometimes you look at this place and you think everything's being done and, you know, where could they, you are needed in this church. God has gifted you and he wants to use you and we need you to get involved. We've seen what can happen when you take a single dollar, you get a bunch of people together to give one. We've seen what can happen when we do something like that. Just think what could happen if all of us put our gifts into play together. Now, I want to close this morning this way because this is very important. 
Paul reminds us when it comes to spiritual gifts, he says, don't separate your gift from love. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 are all written about spiritual gifts. It's all part of the same context. If there's one thing that we can learn from the Corinthian church is that having a spiritual gift does not make you necessarily spiritual. It's possible for everyone in the building to know their spiritual gift and to actually be serving, but for the church to be completely missing the mark. Listen to what Paul says in verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Paul reminds us that there is something greater than our ability, something greater than our gifts, and he reminds us that if, that if it's ever separated from love, if it's ever separated from our gifts, then, then from love, then our gifts become useless. Listen, look, look what he says in chapter 13 and verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, he says, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, he says, I gain nothing. Now, you've probably heard some of this before at a wedding. Maybe it was read at your wedding. And it's known as the love chapter. We actually went through this chapter. This chapter was actually written to rebuke a church that was elevating their spiritual giftedness over love for, each other, for other things and for each other. And Paul says, listen, love has supremacy over every spiritual gift. Love should be like this amazing tasting marinade, this wonderful spice that you pour over all of these acts of service. Now listen, I mentioned the election coming up this Tuesday. And right now, I would say that we are probably the most divided that we have ever been, certainly in my lifetime as a nation. And I know some of you are older than me, many of you are younger than me, and so maybe you could speak differently, but I think we're probably more divided than we've ever been as a nation. I've watched people in our community, in our country, and even in this own church attack each other because of what's going on in the political arena. Attack on Facebook, Twitter, blogging, all this. Listen. Here's the deal. As Americans, we have the freedom to voice our opinions. That's one of the great things about living in this country. We can endorse a candidate. We can say what we want. We can express our freedoms, and we can do this. But I'm going to tell you something. We have not been given the freedom to personally attack each other in the name of God or by using our spiritual gifts, in the name of your spiritual gift. Listen, the Bible lays out very clearly how we are to deal with people that we have trouble with, that we have issues with. It's found in Matthew 18. And yet, for some reason, we think that social media is exempt from all of that. I don't care what the issue is. When it comes to when things divide us, we need to, we need to, we need to operate in love. And this is the kind of stuff Paul was addressing in the church of Corinth. I mean, listen, this is a church that was divided. There were arguments. There was backstabbing. There was bickering. And they were using their gifts in a sinful, abusive manner. And he said, listen, when you are using your gifts and when we're dealing with each other, now understand the context in, this, in how this is written. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And he talks about faith and hope, and he says love, and he says, and the greatest of all of them is what? 
love. Our human nature is more prone to tear down than it is to build up. Jonathan Swift once said, he said, we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. So my question for you this morning, and on any morning, is this. Are you using your gifts in a loving way? Are you using your gifts in a loving way to build each other up, to edify the body of Christ, to bring God glory, to let other people see the Holy Spirit's work on display in your life? All right? The gifts are not about you. We're not given to build you up, to put you in the spotlight. Any gift that's been given to us has been to put Jesus in the spotlight and Jesus alone. And then, are you being generous with your gifts? Are you using your gifts in a generous way? Not the bare minimum just to get by, but are you truly using them in a, in a generous way? Let us be reminded this morning of how generous our God is with us. And Paul, again, in Ephesians 5, 1 says, imitate God. Let us be imitators of God, therefore, in everything we do because we are his dear children. So the foundation is God himself through Jesus Christ showing us his generosity and he says, imitate me. Not just with your time, not just with your money and your resources, but imitate me. Be generous with the giftings that I've given you and let them just be marinated in love towards one another to build up the church so that the world around may look and see something different than what they see out there. Let's bow our head. Lord, we come together this morning as a body. Hands, feet, eyes, ears, noses, mouths, all gifted differently. And Lord, we've seen what can happen when we just take a dollar and put it into action. Lord, what could happen if we got beyond the bare minimum and really just became generous with our gifts and our money and our talents and resources, Lord, and our time? What could we do to change this community? Lord, let us embrace, let us embrace, Lord, one of your characteristics and something you value. Let us embrace generosity with everything that we have. Let us be known as a generous people. We don't have to agree on everything. We have every freedom to share and voice and Lord, but let us love one another. Let us be known, Father, for being generous towards one another, serving one another, loving each other. Let the world see something different. If you're here this morning, you never put Jesus Christ as the savior of your life, I want to give you that opportunity right now. This isn't, you're just like, I don't even, spiritual gifts, my goodness, I, I'm missing something greater in my life. And you realize this morning that it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You feel, you recognize you, de- you are dead in your sins. You need forgiveness. You need redemption. You need hope. If that's you this morning, just in your heart, say, Lord Jesus, right now I need forgiveness. I am a sinner and I repent of my sins, Lord. Father, I need hope in my life, not just for this life, but for the next, Lord. I have no idea about eternity, but I need to know for sure. 
And you have given me that hope through Jesus Christ and him alone. And so I confess with these lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I put all of my faith and all of my trust in Jesus Christ to be my personal savior. That's what I need this morning. That's my step. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you were handed a ministry guide as you came through the door. Would you fill it out for us? Check the box as you came through. And it says this morning, I prayed to receive Jesus as my personal savior. Give it to the help center out in the atrium. Many of you in this room, God's spoken to your heart this morning about putting your gift into play. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your, your ministry guide as well. And I want you to give us your information and across somewhere, I just want you to write in big letters, serve. And if you know what it is that you're gifted to do, I want you to put it in parentheses. And we're, we want to help you. We want to enlist you, and then we want to equip you. We want to encourage you and empower you to serve, to turn you loose in this church, to build up the body of Christ. We need you to get your gift in play. So, Lord, help us, Father, as we talk about gifts, to never be divided, to be unified, to realize that we're all very different, to never use our gifts against each other. Help us to realize, Lord, with everything that is coming up this week, that you are truly the cornerstone of our lives. We can have strong opinions. We can be bold. We can voice our opinion. But at the end of the day, you're the cornerstone. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.